Hello, we are In Conversation, a podcast from the School of Social and Family Dynamics at Arizona State University, designed to showcase timely and informative insights from leading faculty, researchers, and other experts, which impact the ever-changing social world we live in. Here at the School of Social and Family Dynamics, we recognize that the land where we are hosting this conversation at Arizona State University belong to the Maricopa and Pima peoples, and we are privileged that we can welcome you to today's conversation. Welcome, welcome everyone. My name is Aubrey Hoffer, and I'm your graduate student host of In Conversation with the School of Social and Family Dynamics. My charming guest today is Dr. Crystal Bryce. Crystal wears many hats within SSFD. She is an assistant clinical professor, the director of undergraduate student affairs, the undergraduate internship director, and the associate director of research for the Center of the Advanced Study and Practice of Hope. She has been a career-long Sun Devil who got her bachelor's in psychology, master's in educational psychology, and doctorate in family and human development all right here at ASU. She has done and is doing a lot of fascinating work, but today we're mainly talking about how to promote hope at the college level and a hope curriculum called Hopeful Mindsets that she's working on. Crystal, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So Crystal, the podcast starts and ends the same way. I'm going to ask you three sort of rapid fire questions. These introductory ones are just icebreakers to get to know you better on the surface level. And then the ending ones are to get quick bites of your personal philosophy. The point is to just try to answer them quickly in about a sentence. How does that sound? Okay, let's do it. Perfect. So my first question for you is, what is your favorite era of music? Oh, I really like 90s music. Um, So when I'm, which is funny, my daughter's three and she would sing Semi-Charmed Kind of Life or Semi-Charmed Life um, because we would listen to like the 90s station on our Alexa all the time. (laughs) Oh my God, I love that. So I actually have a funny sort of Pavlovian response to the song Semi-Charmed Life because I do Krav Maga and so I fight. And for a while in our fighting playlist, when we would do sparring, Semi-Charmed Life was always on. So every time I hear it now, I feel like I just like break out out into like a sweat and I just want to start like hitting things, but in a good way. Right, right, right. That's so good. So the second question is, what was your favorite school subject when you were a kid? Oh, that's an interesting one. So I would say probably up until high school, it was English. um, And I still loved English, but then I started taking photography. And so I think that would be my favorite probably in high school was I did photography for three years. Um, I always say if I had a different career, it would be if I had a different career and I could be successful, it would be photography. That's so cool. Do you still take photos? I do. I do for fun. Um, but it's, you know, my office is filled with some of my photos. It's the way that I can kind of remember all of our trips. So. Oh, that's fantastic. So my third question is, have you ever collected anything? Yeah. So maybe this goes back to the nineties, uh, music, but I collected Beanie Babies. Um, <laughs> so many of them and they've not gone to waste my daughter now plays with them so I don't know maybe we're like pushing this on her a little bit (laughs) 
I love that. It'll be the next generation of Beanie Baby collectors. Right, exactly. (laughs) So let's start to get into some talk about hope. Um, So you're working in collaboration with a nonprofit organization, as well as the University of Nevada, Reno, creating this initiative called Hopeful Mindsets. I was hoping that you could just walk me through the history of how this collaboration came about and what does it aim to do? Yeah. So it's, it was a really kind of happenstance type of situation. So I did uh, an interview for Edutopia and they were looking at hope and the founder and director, or I guess founder of hope of IFRED, which is the nonprofit named Catherine Getsky. She reached out to me and she said, can we chat? Like I saw, right. I know you're doing this. Can we chat? And so we started talking just about hope and hope research and how we want hope research to, to be more, um, especially right now, right. Especially more available and just more out there. And she said, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm partnering with university of Nevada, Reno. We're doing this, this curriculum. And I said, that's so funny because I just was working on a paper that looks at college retention. And so it was, it just happened right. Like out of the blue. And so from there, we all met with me and her and the people in Reno and it started to take off over summer. Um, it was a quick turnaround when it, once it got the green light, uh, she got everything recorded. It's, it's all done virtually um, or the, it's a platform that's done online. So she got everything recorded and set to go. And then we launched it starting in August. So um, it's like late August was when it started going. So it's been a whirlwind, but we're really excited. And I'm, I'm really involved with the research piece. So looking at the program in terms of program evaluation, we're eliciting feedback from students who are taking the class um, because we're doing it as a class at ASU. I'm going to be offering it in the spring as a discovery seminar through the college. So it's I'm just collecting all the data. So excited to be able to share this information. That's fantastic. So tell me a little bit about what does a hope class look like? How do you teach somebody hope? Yeah. So I always joke when people say, oh, well, what do you do? I say, I study hope, but not squishy hope. Because I think a lot of times we think of hope as being like, oh, I hope I win the lottery. And that's not really how we scientifically conceptualize hope. So we think of hope as being a malleable, motivation-related construct. And so with that in mind, it really centers on goals, thinking about how do I reach my goals, um, feeling like I want to pursue and feeling motivated in, in those goals. And so when we think about it that way, it becomes much more of something we can teach, right? It becomes much more something that I can teach you how to think about the outcomes. I can teach you how to think about your goals and how are you going to reach those goals? And I can support you so that you feel like you can do it. So the program, the curriculum is a 10 module curriculum. We're doing it as 10 weeks. And so the way that it is, is every module um, or lesson has a couple videos. So it has a video from experts. So those are going to be experts in the field on hope and related constructs and kind of 
explaining these scientific things and how they relate specifically to those college students. So there's, oh my gosh, there's so many different experts. It's great. And then the second set of videos, and usually it's like one or two, is people who have recently graduated college. And they kind of talk through, what was my experience? Did I ever feel hopeful or hopeless or whatever you were feeling? How did I get to where I am? To kind of highlight how important hope is in reaching those goals and reaching graduation and whatever it is after. And then there's some like some light reading that goes with it and a workbook that help you kind of focus on yourself. So as a student, as a college student, how can I really focus on um, whatever it was that we covered this lesson? So the way that we've done it is we have students watch the videos at home, kind of a flipped classroom approach. Watch the videos at home, uh, fill out the workbook, and then we come to class and the class is uh, facilitated by Stacy Foster. So they come to class and what they do then is discuss because we know that it's so important to not only write these things down, but talk about them and feel like you have this support system who is there to help you and accountability. And so that's kind of how we've been doing it is, is that in-class discussion-based, really it's more about let's talk about what you're doing, what you're hopeful for, what are your goals? Um, and a lot of the students are first-year students, so it's especially important, I think, when we think about kind of integrating and feeling comfortable and creating that group of people that you need when you're a brand new undergrad. Right. It sounds like hope is really important during these transitionary periods in life, like which makes sense that you guys decided to approach this at the college level. Do you think that there are issues with, you know, college students starting to feel hopeless, especially, you know, post pandemic? Yeah, I think that this um, I mean, I research hope, so I'm a huge proponent of it, but I feel like, especially now it can feel difficult, right? Things feel difficult. And I think having hope, especially when we think about coming back to campus or some of these students, especially our first year students, they have not been in school for a long time, right? Their senior year was maybe remote. And so it is a huge shift. And so we focus on hope as goals. But we also, in this, in this program, think about it in terms of mental health, right? So if we can help you, and we know that research shows that if you have higher hope, you're less stressed, you have less anxiety, you have better mental health outcomes, your well-being's better. So there's, I think it's, you kind of get both, right? You're getting that, let's help you kind of with these, uh, inadvertently with these mental health um, and making sure that your mental health is good, but also at the same time, let's help you be successful in school and let's help you feel supported and let's help you kind of push forward and do it in a way where you can be engaged and you can kind of think beyond just the here and the now in the moment in my first three weeks of school, what am I going to do, right? Let's help you think about down the road, what's going to happen. Right. So it sounds like a big part of like sort of hopelessness is this feeling of 
I guess I would call it like lack of autonomy, like feeling as though you don't really have very much control in your circumstances. So it sounds like a big part of promoting hope and creating hopefulness within people has to do with, you know, creating these goals and being able to give individuals more autonomy you know, in their circumstances, right? Like I can't change maybe what's going on at the federal level with, you know, certain policies and pandemic related or otherwise that might cause me stress, but, you know, I can do things to, you know, create a plan for my next year in grad school that might help me feel as though, you know, I have a little bit more control in my life. And that gives me some hope for my future, right? Yeah, I agree. I think that that loss of control is kind of a key piece of hopelessness um, and despair, right? So I think sometimes, I don't know if it's despair and then control or control then the loss of despair, but I agree. It's, it's thinking about what are these things that we can focus on and we can set those goals. And when we take what we can control and plan about that, I think it becomes a lot more meaningful too, right? So when I'm planning, when I can control my here, my now, what I'm doing in my, in my college career, I can also then control my goals, right? I get to choose what I want to do. I have that sense of autonomy. And so if I get to pick my own goals, I'm likely much more invested in those goals than if it was Aubrey picking my goals, right? So I think that that's, that's a huge piece too, is really helping these students who some of them are, are young and not having done this before and they kind of have all this autonomy, but let's help you kind of rein it in and figure out what is a good fit for you. So letting them do that. And I think that's, that is something that's so important, especially for our, our first, first year students. Right. Like when I think back to my first year of college, I feel like I just was lost in a sea because I had grown up in a household where sort of everything had been very structured for me. And then suddenly I'm here, a freshman at ASU. And then my entire life is now sort of in my hands. And at the time that felt very freeing, but it was almost weirdly suffocating in how freeing it was. Like there was this burden of there being so many choices and being afraid to make the wrong one. Yeah, I think that's that's something that we see probably just for a lot of students as they come in. But I also like to think about it in terms of um, first-generation college students. So right. I'm a first-generation college student and I remember coming in and it it's all the things you said. And then on top of that, I didn't know right? I didn't know how to, how to reach out to, to faculty or mentors. I didn't know, like, how do I get involved? What's important? I didn't know, okay, I'm going to be a psych major. Like, what am I going to do with that? Right. And so while my family was super supportive in me going to college, those are things that you have to navigate yourself. And I think that those can be difficult and barriers that, and obstacles that, that some of our students might face. So if we can help be through this curriculum, we can have this class that is not only teaching you and helping you learn about how to overcome or reroute when you hit an obstacle, but also preparing you in a way where you're, you're getting this kind of built-in community, right? We're putting you in a class where you get peers who are going to have kind of the same learning experience and a great professor who is going to be there and who is there to, to have 
right? So you have that person, right? You have that person that's not just your peer, but you have that person who really knows the system and they're there to help you. And I think um, that's also, right, like near and dear to my heart is thinking about how important it is to help our students who might not know how to make those connections kind of facilitate it for them. That's great. So for anyone who's listening right now and is just totally invested and is like, please sign me up for the next Hope, Hopeful Mindsets course, it'll be offered this spring. Are there any plans for sort of the future of the Hopeful Mindsets curriculum? I mean, how far do you think that you would like to expand this? I mean, I'm, I'm all in, right? So like, let's like, I always joke, like my dream is that it gets adopted at the at the university level. So, right, it's made for, I think, I, I focus and we focus a lot on those first year students because, and particularly during a pan, after, I don't know, during towards the end of a pandemic. But I think that these are skills that aren't just for first year students. I think that these are skills that are really important in that first year to kind of cultivate and support. Um, and because we know that, if we can get them in that first year, it's gonna be better for, for students in terms of retention and success. But I think that this is something that could be either integrated into certain types of classes or maybe like a first year at the first year level integrated into like their intro to the university class, right? So if I had my, if I had all the power here, I would want it something that everyone can take so that we can teach these skills as early as possible. Right. And it makes sense that it is so important to be teaching these skills as early as possible, because I can imagine that as you get older, if you don't have these skills, you're going to have a very difficult time as sort of life gets more complex. And, you know, there are more stressors, more aggravation, more frustration. I mean, life gets complicated at a point and it's really important that we have these coping mechanisms or these abilities to, you know, I'd imagine that more hopefulness is probably also related to better emotional regulation at the very least. Right. So. Right. And I would think that, um, you know, we, we, we think about this as like, Oh, we'll, we'll teach you, we'll teach you these skills. Um, and that you'll be a, you'll have high hope, but I think anybody can have, situations and instances of lower hope, right? We have these obstacles as we get older, we have these situations, but if we can have this kind of base foundation to go back to, right? So I think of like that course book that you fill out is kind of a resource. So you can go back and rethink and like, man, I'm not hopeful right now, right? I'm really struggling. I'm really, right. I've had a lot of obstacles and I can't overcome them right now. But then by going back and having that resource, I think that's, um, that's so important. I love that you normalize the experience of feeling hopeless, because I think oftentimes the way that we as society tends to view mental health is that, you know, I'm going to learn how to be hopeful and then I'm never, ever going to feel hopeless ever again, when in actuality, 
these things aren't linear and you can learn these coping mechanisms and these tools and you're going to go through life and have times where you feel really hopeful, but you're also going to have times where you don't feel hopeful and that's okay because that's part of the human experience. And what's really important is that we develop these tools to help us in those times, not that we get these tools and then it means we're never going to have these negative times again. Yeah, I think it's so important to, I always, I always say like, feel, feel your feels, right? Feel them. Um, because it, it isn't, I wouldn't say, it, it's not a bad thing, right? To have these feelings and to face these obstacles. Uh, but again, like you're saying, it's coming back to that toolkit, right? Coming back to those resources, coming back to, to whatever it is that might help you um, when it's, when you're ready right? When you're ready and when it's time and when it's whatever the situation might be so that you can move forward. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I am also curious. So within the Hopeful Mindsets curriculum, can you talk a little bit more about sort of what is the trajectory from going from like hopeless to hopeful? What are some of the tools that students taking the course might be able to learn? Yeah, so we spend a lot of time um, kind of talking about how our, right, how do we process stress and thinking about coping mechanisms and thinking about mindfulness. So there is that piece of kind of um, understanding that, but then also is thinking about how do we set goals? And so a big piece is going to be goal setting, which seems like, oh yeah, I can set goals, but how do we set smart goals? How do we set big goals? How do we set little goals along the way, right? So that we're not just saying a one and done, I did it, but thinking about the long-term and the short-term, thinking about all aspects of your life and how do we think about, and some people might need more help in thinking about how do I find a different way to reach my goal, right? How do we identify those? So I think it's important to know not everyone necessarily has strong skills in that area, right? And so we're not going to assume anyone is, is on one level or another. We're going to make sure everybody's learning um, and learning about how to do that, as well as feeling the support from the group, right? And so that's something that we think about in terms of hope is that this, this strong support system is so critical to really helping students, in this case, feel like they can do it, right? Because when you hit that wall, and it's hard to get back up. Having those people around you, they're like, you can do it. Let's do this, right? Let's help you. Like, let's talk about what that might look like and can kind of get you out of that maybe despair or that struggle. That's going to be so important. Right. And so I know that this is going to take us slightly away from hopeful mindsets, but I think that this is going to loop back in a really valuable way. You recently published a paper about the role of hope and college retention. I was hoping that maybe you could talk a little bit about that paper because I think that it really demonstrates how important it is to teach hope to college students specifically. And I also think that that paper is really great because you make these suggestions for implementation at the structural level, which is what Hopeful Mindsets is attempting to do. Yeah, so that was right when I I published the paper was already under review when 
Catherine reached out about hopeful mindsets and I was like, oh my gosh, it's like you read my paper and it's not even out. Uh, so with that paper, we had a study here at ASU where we had um, some first semester, first year students. We recruited from our classes in SSFD, um, but we had a pretty, a really representative sample across the university. Um, I think we, we covered something like 13 colleges, um, 50 majors. So we had a really good sample. And we followed these students from their first semester, their first year through their fourth semester. Um, and in that first semester, we, we had them answer a survey on hope. We also got all of the demographic information. So we were able to look at um, their academic information coming into college, what was their GPA, you know, all of those things. And then we were able to get their educational attainment data. So we could see, did these students persist beyond their first year? And so did they, right, did we retain them essentially into their second year? And what we found was that students who had higher hope were more in their first semester were more likely to be retained a year later. And right, in terms of college, we know that first year is important, right? Retention in that first year is so important. So I think that, and this is without an intervention, right? This is just looking at that, that group. And then we looked at it by group and we found that um, the findings were most, uh, were prevalent for those who had average and above entering high school and from high school GPA and, and um, SAT and ACT scores. So, you know, I don't, I don't say that that means it's not helpful for those who might have come in um, with lower academic scores. But what I think about it is, is that's, we hit 60 something percent of the population that would be benefiting from having some kind of hope support, right? And, and I think that's particularly important because we do often put a lot of resources into students who are maybe have low, low high school GPA or might come in with, um, you know, risk factors and maybe less so on those who are just kind of, you know, your typical entering student or even above average entering student. And the nice thing about this is it's really highlighting that hope isn't like, it's going to be important for a lot of the students and a lot of the students that we might not typically target, but could in a very easy way that could be applied to everyone. Right. Yeah. I found that finding incredibly interesting because I really, um, you know, I saw a bit of myself in that finding with students entering with this high GPA being so impacted by hope. Uh, I think for me, right, like I was very much the honors, gifted, AP, five-star, whatever kid. I came to college and it was a big transition. And in some ways, right, going from being like the cream of the crop at the top of your class to now being 
one of a million other kids who were just that, that was a very difficult thing for me. So that really made that finding make sense to me because I was like, oh, it's these AP kids who are going to college with all these other AP kids and realizing that they're not the smartest kid in class anymore who really need to develop this sense of hope because it really is, it really messes with your identity a little bit, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great point. And then just thinking about, right. Um, if sometimes these, these students who do enter with above average, uh, academics, they might not have had this kind of autonomy, right? Like that we've, we've talked about, right. They're, they, they are now, you know, college is a huge transition regardless. Like I'm not going to discount that for anyone, but I think that there are these different factors that, that come into play, whether it's, first-generation college student, whether it's coming in with lower or higher academics or expectations, or just that huge shift from being home, having things scheduled, having kind of this is how we do it and this is what you do. Oh, and now you're on your own, right? And so I think that that's um, kind of what I'm hearing you bring up is that piece of it. Right. Well, and also what you've been talking about, about creating a sense of community and creating those peer relationships and then, you know, expanding into that with using that sense of community to also help demystify aspects of academia. I mean, it really does all just feed into each other. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. So that's super interesting. One thing too, that I wonder is that we've talked a lot about sort of um, hope at the structural level, um, you know, how universities can help to uh, encourage hope in students. I'm wondering um, for listeners right now who are wondering, well, how can I improve hope in my friend when they feel hopeless or my partner when they feel hopeless or myself when I feel hopeless? What do you do when you feel like you're starting to feel a little hopeless or if you're talking to somebody and you're noticing some hopelessness in them? Yeah, so I think it's interesting after having studied hope for a while now, I I notice I kind of integrate it into my the way that I talk to people. Um, and particularly when I have students come in uh, who I'm the internship coordinator and so students often come in with, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know. Right. And it's, it's like, I feel you. I've been there. I get it. And so I always try to, um, I think it, again, feel your feels. It's good. It's important to validate those feelings as, as okay. But let's also think about how do we set those goals? Right. And so, so sometimes I think it can just help by being an outsider. So someone who isn't maybe your best friend, it can help to have a conversation depending on what it's about with someone else so that they're, my job here is to help you think about goals. My job here is to help you kind of think, well, what, it, like, let's talk through what that, that might look like and, and have a safe space where you can have those conversations and there's not judgment, right? Like you want to do what you want to do. Let's talk about how you, how you get to that point. And I think sometimes that removal can really be helpful. So it, I think that In that way, sometimes it can be hard when it's like your friend or a sibling or a parent who's really struggling because you're like, oh, I just know you too well. And like, we want to jump in. Um, But again, going to this kind of sense of autonomy and feeling this control, I think that we have to 
we have to support without over supporting or being right. intrusive and giving, putting our feelings and our thoughts onto them. Right. Uh, that definitely resonates with me, right? Like I definitely tend to be the therapist friend with people. So, and it can be so hard because when someone is sort of feeling like, oh, I don't have very much structure right now. I'm, I'm not sure what I want to do. Sometimes the instinct for people who are type A, like myself, it's like, you want to go, okay, great. Well, I have a spreadsheet right here and I will plan out the next five years of your life. And then you will never have any anxiety ever again. Um, when in actuality, it's probably a lot healthier for the relationship and for the other person to take a little step back and just offer that support and give them a space to be confused. And that's okay. That to anyone listening, it's okay to be confused, regardless of how old you are, where you're at in your career, where you're at in your life. If you're listening to this and you're like, oh no, I'm 40 and I don't know what I'm going to do. That's okay. That happens. You're going to figure it out. Right. Exactly. You just have to, I, yeah, I think our first instinct a lot of times is to like fix it, right? I'm going to fix it for you, but it's okay. And sometimes it's, it's good to, to struggle to struggle like that because then you're having to reroute. You're having to actively think about, okay, what am I gonna do? What could I do? What are my options? And literally just by doing those things, what can I do? What am I gonna do? What are my options? You're finding pathways, right? That is a piece of hope. And so um, I, I totally get you. Like you wanna be the one, I'll, I'll fix it, but it can be helpful to let, you know, step back a little bit. Right. So this has been just an awesome conversation. I hope that anyone who has taken anything out of it is now hopefully excited and really would be interested in taking the Hopeful Mindsets course. Uh, so it sounds like it's available to any ASU undergrad for the spring semester of 2022. And yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to say about the Hopeful Mindsets curriculum or course before we started to transition out? Yeah. So the, the course is available to online. So you don't have to be uh, in a class to do it, right? You can take the, the um, you can do it on your own, which, you know, I would say if you're going to do it on your own, do it with a friend, right? Find a partner, friend, find a couple people that you can do it with. And it's something that if you have, and that's something that you want to do, you can, you can do it without having to be in a class. Um, and so that's also a really nice piece is, you know, I, I would love for it to be something that's offered at the university level for everyone regularly. But in the meantime, there's still this other option, right? There is this option where you can, you can pursue this on your own if that's what you're interested in doing. Wonderful. And we will leave some information in the show notes about how you can take a hopeful mindsets course if that is something that you're so interested in. So, uh, Crystal, I'm going to start to transition to one of my favorite parts of the show, which is our deep questions. Yeah. So these are the final questions that are going to get a little bite of your personal philosophy. And I just think these questions are so great because it just allows us to see a little bit more about you. So are you ready? Yes. All right, Crystal. So the first question is, what gives you hope? 
So I've thought about this before because um, I've been asked this, this type of question. And I think little kids give me hope. And the reason is, um, I might be a little biased because I have a three-year-old, but little kids, when you just watch them, they're so persistent. And I, I love it. I love, you know, they fall down, they get back up. They, you tell them, no, they try again, right? Like they're really going for whatever it is that that goal is. And they don't have the inhibition, I think that we have as adults. And so I, I love, I love watching that. And that really makes me hopeful because I think about, oh, right. Like look at those kids really just going for it, right. Finding those obstacles, like overcoming those obstacles and doing it. And so I just, I don't know. I just think that that kind of gives me hope. I love that. I think we can take so much inspiration from children. So I love that answer. So the second question is, who do you most admire and why? So this is a hard one. Um, because I feel like I can't say kids again. So I was, you know, I, I think about this in terms of, um, especially as we've been talking about hopeful mindset and kind of how this has been something that I've taken on academically. And so I think about who do I admire academically? And um, my PhD advisor was Bob Bradley, who is just a wonderful human being. And I admire his professional approach, um, his thinking, like we still work together and, and it's just so refreshing and interesting to hear him think these things through after being in the field for so long. And at the same time, the entire time that I was in grad school, you know, it was about milestones and he'd always say, Crystal, this is an exercise. And it's been such a great philosophy when I've had students that I work with too, because it helps put things in context, right? Like comprehensive exams, that's an exercise, as well as really focusing on family. And so that, that kind of um, balance is something that I really admire and being able to, and right, a moment doesn't go by where his granddaughters don't get brought up. And, and I love that. That's beautifully said. All right, Crystal. So our final question to end on is, what is one rule you would want everyone to follow? Um, if I could make everyone follow one rule, it would be to put yourself in someone else's shoes. So I think it's so important to think about other people's perspectives, what they're doing, what they're going through, because it just helps us be more empathic. It helps us be kind. Um, and I think that it's something that we, it is hard. It's not always easy to do, but really putting yourself in someone else's shoes, I think gives you a different perspective on everything. That was wonderfully said, Crystal. It has been such a joy to walk in your shoes a little bit for the past half hour. So I just want to say thank you so much again for coming on. Are there any final words you'd like to say? No, I just thank you for letting me talk about the hopeful mindset curriculum and maybe, maybe we'll get it to go real big. <laughs> I certainly hope so. So this was Dr. Crystal Bryce talking about hopeful mindsets. Information about the curriculum will be located in our show notes. Thank you all so much. Have a wonderful night. If you're interested in reaching out to Crystal, you can email her at crystal.bryce at asu.edu. 
Connect with us and get access to all of our podcasts by visiting thesanfordschool.asu.edu forward slash podcast, where you will also find links to all of our social media channels. conversation has come to an end, but our work here continues.